Kiara. Welcome to Voices of Resilience Radio. Welcome to Voices of Resilience Radio. This show provides real stories of resilience and post-traumatic growth from people like me who have lived through trauma and difficult times during childhood, adolescence, and or adulthood. This show talks about what is strong, not what is wrong. It challenges a deficit approach in therapy and mental health and focuses on a strength-based approach. If you'd like to be part of this show and talk about your story of resilience or post-traumatic growth, please contact me from my website at chrissygilmore.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-S-Y-G-I-L-L-M-O-R-E.com. So welcome to Voices of Resilience Radio. I have, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name's Emily Samuelson. I'm a psychologist in Baltimore, Maryland, which is just a little bit north of Washington, D.C. Okay, cool. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And, and um, you have a book, and I have started reading it. I'm about halfway through, mm-hmm. and, I, and I am just absolutely blown away by this book. I am... I am just a lot of the quotes and the words really touched me and um, I think it's put new layers in my own healing journey as well. Yeah, it's really, really beautifully done. Yes. And I love the way that you've weaved. I love the way that you've weaved your, your story around these people that you've interviewed. Did you want to talk about the book a little bit before I give my comments? Yeah. yeah sure. Okay. 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 Um, my book is called Soaring Above the Ashes, Thriving Beyond Childhood Sexual Abuse. And I traveled around the, the U.S. interviewing men and women, survivors, uh, having them tell me their stories and how they were affected by their abuse, what they did to heal, and where they are now. And when I say heal, I don't mean uh, there's no trace of trauma or there's no trace of pain from the abuse, but healing in the sense of you know feeling like you can make your own choices, that you are able to do meaningful work and have um, intimate relationships and you know functioning really well, but but in a genuine way, in, in an authentic way. Mm. So anyway, so I I just got to meet the most incredible people. I I like to call them um, extraordinary ordinary people, oh, and mm. they are extraordinary. Every last one of them and very different people had different journeys that they've uh, traveled to heal. Um, lots of different circumstances of, of abuse. So I'm, it was a, th- it was thrilling for me actually. Mm. Took forever, but I'm really glad. <laughs> I'm really glad I've, I've finished and it's out. It's alive. My baby has been born. Yeah. So Definitely. yeah. Yeah. And it took about 20 years, is that, did you say that? Yeah, it took me a very long time. Um, Partly because I was afraid of what would happen when I finished it and got it out in the world. Um, I knew that I would get in a lot of trouble with my family, which is what happened. Um, I basically got kicked out of my family for a few years. And also, I still had to work through my own, all my issues, which I was fortunate to interview all these different people and talking about the different facets of their abuse has helped me recognize more and more of my own stuff. And that helped me grow. And it was a long journey. I also paid for the whole thing out of my own pocket. So periodically I'd say, ah, I need more money and I would take on more work. Then I wouldn't have time to work on the book. But then I would get back to the book and not work as much and 
it just went back and forth. And I guess I, I, I have a lot of friends who would say to me, um, well, first, I, when people would say, how's the book coming? <laughs> I always felt a little, whoops, <laughs> it's still coming. It's still coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so anyway, um, that's basically um, the process of the book. Yeah. Why it took so long. Yeah, no kidding, because you had a life at the same time. You were raising how you were raising a couple kids as well. Can you hear me? Well, no, your voice got really soft. Okay, hold on. I'll just fix my audio here. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Okay. Here I'll turn myself back up. Pardon me. Okay. So so it sounds like you, you had a life at the same time as well. You know, you've, you were raising children and working um, at the same time and and um, also doing this book that was like, what was the process for you doing this book? Because I know like transcribing, did you record? Because you would have transcribed. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what a huge well, process. I paid, somebody, I paid somebody to transcribe most of the interviews. Okay, okay. So at least I didn't have to do that. I did for a couple, but most of them were done by somebody else. Right. Um, well, I had an infant when, well, I had a toddler when I got started because I didn't, uh, I didn't get my memories until I was 39. Wow. So it was after several years of horrible flashbacks and, weeping in the shower so I wouldn't wake my daughter. I also was a single mom. I'd just gone through a divorce when my baby was seven months old. Um, so I wanted to be able to offer hope to my clients because I'm, as a therapist, I, I specialize in treating trauma. So I was working with a lot of sexually abused children and then um, in my private practice with adults. Some people felt very defeated and depressed and I wanted to offer hope. Like it really is possible to get to the other side. Mm -hmm. And that gave me the idea of, of writing a book about people who've been able to do a, a huge amount of healing. Mm -hmm. And it was later that I realized that I really wanted to know for myself that there was light at the end of a very, very long tunnel. Mm, mm. Um, so, uh, so it was kind of like I started. Yeah, I'm sorry. So it's not, it was like a bit of an exploration for yourself as well to see kind of what was, what happens in this journey. Mm -hmm. you know, is there, is there possibility of healing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like it. That sounds really cool. I like that. Yeah. It's really well, creative. Yeah. Well, the other thing was I didn't, I thought, well, this, this is a way I can do something creative and I don't, I'm not going to talk about myself in the book. My gosh, there's no way in the world I'm going to tell my story, but I can write this, write, uh, write up these um, interviews and edit them and take black and white portraits of everyone and I'll have a book. And then I just started writing my own story, wow. some of which I had written in journals over 20 year, years since of writing journals. And I would read through them and I'd go, oh, I like that. I'm going to put that. Maybe I should talk about that. Mm. And in meeting the different people, they, they had, there were, they had, um, issues, particular issues that came up for them that resonated for me that I, so I wrote about my own understanding of boundaries or shame or recovering memories. Um, and so that my story became woven in with everybody else's. Mm. 
Yeah. So. And, and I yeah. saw that and I loved, it was like a surprise and now we're kind of giving it away, but cause I didn't know that when I was reading the book and mm -hmm. I, and I felt like, Oh my gosh, we're back to Emily now. And, and I felt like, Oh my goodness. Like I wrote down, um, I wrote, where did I write it? Here, hold on. It's almost like a buffer of love between the chapters. And mm -hmm. I felt like you were holding these people because oh, wow. yeah because you're at the beginning and then you tell this like and it's so well written and i can see the the images and the metaphors like something like something of use a way to define slowness as molasses and i could see the molasses kind of oozing out of the jar <laughs> and then someone tells their story and i think one of them you preempt it there was something around saying what was it oh, i can't remember it was it was either saying no boundaries um defining those or maybe saying the needs what you need and then someone mm. talks about their story and it's like mm. whoa i just i love it it's like a whole beautiful in new zealand we've got this term called te fariki which means the mat and it's where we're all integrated together and we hold yeah. each other yeah mm. and i could i could see that yeah oh oh that's yeah. so good to hear it's so powerful yeah. yeah yeah i just i love so much i've written all these notes and i just you i just i'll say some of them if that's okay for the sure. reader for the listeners if they sure. yeah i love the beginning this intro where it says dealing with ugliness done to children is heartbreaking i bear witness to my clients suffering to heal they travel deep inside to reach the source of their wound. Along the way, they feel the terror, grieve their lost childhoods, rage against their violation, and move past their shame. I hold the flashlight to guide them through darkness inside. I'm with them as they turn, as they return to the light transformed. And yeah. That's yeah. the work I do. It it's giving me chills hearing you read it. <laughs> this is your story. Yeah. the work that I do. I accompany people on their travels in through the darkness of uh, their past. Mm. And uh, I'm just there to bear witness and to maybe use my little flashlight to show where the path might be or the different paths there are. And, mm. um, the whole process it's it's it's, it's powerful to be a therapist and then to write about it Ooh. yeah yeah i've got tears um and and then you say you're you know you're a therapist and then you tell us because that's the intro and then you tell us you start your story and i think that's the power of knowing that of knowing that you've experienced something yeah. like on your own, in your own way, the same mm -hmm. thing as these mm -hmm. people. And then I just read here and I love the quote. Um, you own everything that happened to you. Tell your stories. If people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved better. Yeah. It's I not my quote, but isn't that fabulous? Yes, it is. Anne, Anne Lamott is such a great writer. I haven't read. I need to go and find her. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah, she's and wonderful. she's wonderful. And I've mm -hmm. learned to trust the intense emotions, body sensations, and visual images that go along with the gist of memory. I thought I might die from the pain. Sometimes I wanted to, but I didn't. I healed. And oh, yeah. I just. There's no, I just feel it. I can feel it more than I can say it. And I'm mm -hmm. such a visual thinker. So, you know, that was the way I survived myself as a child is mm -hmm. used images. And maybe that's the way my brain works, but I can see this and I think I can feel it. And I think that is just absolutely beautiful. And, mm -hmm. oh, I just, I love that. And to trust our own bodies, that is, that is for me, Kind of the embodiment of healing is to mm -hmm. be able to come back into our own skin and mm -hmm. 
and just start, you know, start that process of loving ourselves and, and feeling some of these emotions that were really too hard to feel. Yeah. Children or when it happened. Yeah. I just love this. I love this book. Um, and I'm just wondering, would you be okay to share a little bit about your story yourself about what happened to you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I didn't have any memories of uh, my sexual abuse until I was 39. Um, it was after a really difficult time um, in which my oldest sister was diagnosed with cancer. A month later, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. And then soon after I had my child, I only had one. Okay my one and only, um, and my marriage broke up. My husband cheated on me while I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. So uh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to stay with him and he didn't want to work on the marriage. So uh, I was just bombarded by so much emotional pain. <laughs> and I was um, working at a job, uh, where I was scapegoated and I had never had that experience before. So it was the combination of all those things that broke me open to memory. And I think it took that much because I was abused by someone I adored, my father. And uh, it took a such a long time for me to really believe that it happened, even though I would have horrific flashbacks where I would be walking around my living room in the middle of the night after my daughter was asleep saying, my daddy hurt me, my daddy hurt me. And then I'd be weeping. And when it was over, I thought, well, I'm just being dramatic. This didn't happen. <laughs> it, because the way I, the way I think about it now is that I had spent so much energy keeping the memories away, keeping the memories out of consciousness, putting them in you know, a, a closet way in the back, you know, buried under a lot of stuff, so that when the memories came through, it was automatic for me to dismiss them, to minimize them, to not believe them, because that, that's how I had protected myself for 39 years. And, um, and it, see, it, it just, it was like standing, um, standing on the ground when an earthquake comes and the earth splits right under your feet. I mean, my whole life, everything I thought about my childhood and this profound love I had for my father, who was my role model. And to have to face the, the pain and the betrayal and the grieving, the loss of the father I thought I had was excruciating <laughs> it really it was it was so painful but there's something about me and i don't know where i get it but i i really was absolutely determined to heal and i would do anything that i thought might help me heal and i did all kinds of different therapies, I saw shamans, I had, I had a Peruvian shaman uh, uh, what do you call it, spraying uh, tequila all over me, like spitting tequila out of his mouth all over me. I said, fine, you know, if it's going to help me heal, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was determined to do anything. Wow. Some of your determination and the chapter about the um, shout out to survival skills. Mm -hmm. 
yeah and how you said determination even to myself or something like that that and i just thought oh that's powerful if you've got mm -hmm. this strength to that even yourself can't even yeah. say no don't do it it's like yeah. i have to do this sorry yeah. this has to be done and then you talked about some archetypes i can't remember some you say some heroes um and i thought that healing is the hero's journey and mm -hmm. i thought wow i and you named some people that have healed and i thought of archetypes and how mm -hmm. um in each of us we have our own personal archetype uh, in mm -hmm. a way um, yeah. and i think that's so powerful um, yeah I, yeah, I just yeah. Think the healing journey. I think the healing journey is the hero's journey. Yeah, because like the hero, we have to. We're we're, for whatever reason, we start on a, a kind of a quest or exploration, and people try to stop you from doing it, but you push ahead and descend deep inside of yourself and. Uh, whether it's you know mythological heroes who have to slay dragons and all that kind of stuff you know we've got to do the same we all have to do the same thing to heal from trauma yeah. it it's it's facing our own darkest feelings and most terrifying things and one of the women i interviewed in the book said um said it's 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 like you have to look in the mirror you know you have to face the most frightening thing you could ever imagine and it involves looking in the mirror and seeing yourself and your history um, so but if you keep pushing through you you can't get to the other end. That's what's so amazing. And the people that I met, they're just incredibly dynamic, authentic, grounded, spiritual people. Mm -hmm. Spiritual journey too, I, oh, it has been for me. Yeah, I agree. Me too, yeah. definitely. Hugely yeah. spiritual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know why it needs to be so spiritual, to be honest. I, me. yeah, I think that spirit kind of reveals itself in some way, or when you work through all this horror and pain, as you work through it, it, it doesn't, you don't feel, you certainly don't feel like a victim anymore. And when you, when you're further along, you see, God, I'm a strong person. You know, something sustained me through this that I could get through it. And I, for me, it was like my perspective changed how I saw myself. And when I worked through the rage and the grief about my parents both betraying me, my mother didn't do anything to protect me and she knew what was going on when I was able to get to the bottom of the rage and the pain and move through it, the spiritual part came in because I realized that I, that I'm a lot stronger than they are. And in a way I, I actually feel some compassion for them, even though they were, they were awful. <laughs> but I do, and I think it, and it's not, you know, a lot of times people will, in the beginning of their work or somewhere, beginning stages, they'll say, well, I know he couldn't help it, he was an alcoholic, blah, 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 or all the things that we say to skirt around the pain, like, when people are so easy to easily forgive. And I think when you, when you know the extent of the hurt, 
and the damage and the impact that it's had on you. And you get through that, then you can truly forgive. And jumping into forgiveness right away, to me, is what are you even forgiving? If you don't know what the, the ramifications have been, if you don't know the effects and the after effects, and then what are you forgiving? It's, mm. yeah. Yeah. No, it, I agree. I, I hear that sometimes. And, um, and I, oh, you said something. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's crazy. It's right here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. With Antoinette, she said, it's over. Someone said to her, it's over. It's done with. And I had this memory of when I was little and my family was really Christian. And they just say to me, oh, just forgive and forget. It's over. And right. I, and I thought, oh, how dare you? Yeah. For, forgiveness for me was a dirty word. It was a dirty word. I thought, oh, that's, oh, how could I? And at the same time, I thought, how is God going to love me? Because I can't, I, no, I, I just couldn't let it go. I couldn't let it go. And right. I had to go through so much of that, of going in and, and really owning, really hating, really mm -hmm. hating. And huge amounts of anger, mm -hmm. huge, so dark. And I thought, and it was so hard to see that in myself. And then yeah. so much sadness and grief and, um, and, and, you know, still there's a part of me. And at the same time, I think that that's kept me alive. Um, what kind of forms of resilience do you use? What kind of forms of resilience? Um, my sense of humor, thank goodness. Um, my close relationships with people helped me tremendously. My love for my daughter. And I wanted her to have a really, really healthy mom. And out of all the things, I, out of all the things I've done in my life, working with so many wounded people and uh, buying a house on my own and the career I've had and the kind of friend I've been, getting my doctorate, blah, 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 all that stuff. The thing I'm most proud of is how I raised my daughter. And she's... She's just a fantastic human being. And I poured a lot of energy into being the, the mother that I didn't have. And I had one weird exchange with my daughter once. I can't remember how old she was, but I said something to her that I heard myself saying and I, I thought, wow, that was pretty wise or that was loving or something. And then I said to her, God, I wish I had a mother like yours. <laughs> we both looked at each other. I mean, it's a weird thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> Very weird thing to say. And in some ways, I've had to be my own mother. Mm. And I think lots of us who have painful difficult childhoods we have to reparent ourselves we have to when i would get a when i would get a memory and be uh, rocking and crying i had to be there and i wanted to be there for that little girl who was so devastated and I've got lots of little girls who who I had to who I wanted to be with I wanted to help them know that they were beautiful and that it was never their fault and yes it's terribly sad and it 
doesn't mean they weren't lovable. It's that your mommy and daddy were broken. Mm. And uh, so I've had to be the loving, compassionate person bearing witness to the experiences of the little, you know, young parts of me. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. Very powerful stuff. It is very powerful. powerful. Like how we can parent ourselves by being the parent we wanted. And, and, And even maybe... I think sometimes that determination to fit some of these roles to make sure that children are protected. I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that maybe that's unconscious. You know, we make sure that we do it because we want to make sure that there's safety around these people. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Right. Right. Hey, and I'm just wondering what kind of, do you have any comments or suggestions for people on their own healing journey i know that it's very diverse and as unique as we are but do you have any kind of yeah well i think the first step is being able to break your silence and to tell somebody and try to be selective about who you tell so you won't get slapped down or told that's you know, what are you talking about? Or that was a long time ago. Or all the things that people can say, it's like, choose your, can, the, the person you disclose to it, it carefully. Yeah. And uh, what, if there's a way to find a group of people that you can talk with about it, other survivors. Mm-hmm. I was really lucky. I, I was in a group with other sur- other therapists who were survivors. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we would meet once a week. I think, I think it was once a week um, talking about what was happening with us now, what we were going through in our healing, talking about things that happened to us. Not in, in gruesome detail, but kind of a view of the kinds of things that we experienced. And you know, I would look across the circle and somebody would be telling me about her experience. And I'd look at her and I'd have such compassion. And I, and I knew she had nothing to be ashamed of. I knew she felt shame, but she had no, she didn't have to carry that shame because it wasn't about her. And when I started having that kind of compassion for my clients and in this circle of peers, it helped me have more compassion for myself. Yeah, and that was really healing. And, yeah. and also it kind of detoxifies this, the shame of the secret. Um, when, when you hear other people um, having gone through similar things, it's like, oh, I'm not a freak. <laughs> I'm not an alien on this planet. Yeah. I'm really not the only one. And, you know, you know it in your head, but to really get, like, I, I'm one of many, and my pain is my pain, but I'm not the only one who's had this experience. It, the experience doesn't say anything about me. Mm. about what happened to me and uh, that was really healing and helpful to be with other survivors I read like a crazy woman I read everything I could get my hands on uh, in terms of memoirs I read a bazillion memoirs about survivors finding their way through Um, and I as a, you know, I, I read more and more as a psychologist too. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really lucky that I could put my therapist hat on in relation to myself mm. and understand things in a, uh, I guess from a psychological, a dynamic uh, viewpoint. Mm. And 
that helped me because I like to understand. Mm. And that's kind of how I think my, my thinking part, my analyzing part of me, I think really saved me in my childhood. Right. And it helped me heal as an, as an adult too. I would feel all these things and later I'd get like, oh, wow, that's why I'm this way. Or, oh my God, I never thought about it that way. And I'd had these revelations that were aha moments that helped me integrate the, the, the whole experience. So that was really helpful. Like I would identify with different people that, you know, in the memoirs or in the clinical books, like they'd be talking about trauma survivors and be like, oh yeah, I've got that, you know, oh yeah, me too. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of that. Um, so it, all, it, the pieces kind of came together for me. Mm. Yeah. I think that's lovely. Yeah. And, and I think that it sounds like you really celebrate a lot of these coping skills that we've all had, like um, perfectionism mm -hmm. and um, depression and shame. Mm -hmm. Did you say shame in your book? I can't remember. Uh, well, I talked about shame, but not, I, I don't, I didn't talk about shame as a um, survival skill or strategy. No, sorry. I think that was something else. Yeah. 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 But I, I think um, recognizing that all the things that we did, even the things that on the surface seem really horrible, like yeah. being alcoholic <laughs> or getting into cutting yeah. or, you know, disconnecting from feelings, um, minimizing things, everybody minimizes, mm -hmm. you know, oh, my abuse... I can't tell you, I would have people say, well, I mean, it was only my uncle. It wasn't like it was my father. Well, it was only a blow job in the backseat. Oh, well, it was only intercourse. Well, I mean, at least it wasn't anal intercourse. No matter, no matter what people said, no matter what the horror was, you could always think of something worse. Mm. That by doing that, it's a way to kind of make your own abuse not so bad. Mm -hmm. And it's a great protection mm -hmm. yeah. uh, until you have to face how bad it really was. But all those things that we do to protect ourselves, being anxious, being hypervigilant. That's it, right. That's that one. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, scanning the environment and being really observant of the minute uh, expression changes or body shifts of other people. I mean, now that I don't have so much fear, that ability to see really helps me in what I do. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm able to be like, wait, what just happened just then? You know, I saw this little flicker of something, you know, tune inside what's going on. And that's a gift. Yeah. So, yeah. It's so weird to think of my abuse as a gift. Yes. But, you know, it felt like a curse for so long. And it's still, I, I know it was a horrible thing that happened um, to me, that was done to me. Um, but it did, it did give me a lot too. My working through, my healing gave me a lot. Yeah, I like that. Mm. Yeah. I think it's really interesting how we naturally use resilience. I, I'm really fascinated by that and how our, I don't know if it's spirit, maybe it's all of it, spiritual, physically, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know. Um, but we do things to protect ourselves and those are really a lot of these these ways are are to be celebrated because they keep us alive even oh, dissociation yeah. um mm -hmm. oh thank god for dissociation yeah. i know i wouldn't have, i never would have survived if i remembered my abuse me too i don't know how i don't know when i stopped remembering 
Yeah. And when I started most likely dissociating in the middle of the abuse, so I was on the ceiling or I was somewhere else. So it was happening to this body, but I wasn't in it. So it wasn't as awful as it could have been. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm so grateful to be able to um, put sometimes be able to put feelings in a box when I need to go do something else. Like when I was at work, I don't want to be weeping at work. I've got to put the stuff on in the back burner and it's a form of dissociation. I, mean, I still know it's there, but I was able to keep functioning mm. because I knew how to dissociate. Yeah. Yeah. It was real good. Thank God. Yeah. It saved so many people. Yeah. <laughs> And um, did you use, I know for myself, I used a lot of imagining. I imagined different things. Um, like for instance, I would imagine that I was, I won a million dollars and that I would, I've never told anyone this, that I would give all this money to different people and help them out. And that mm -hmm. was one of my favorite things that I would do in my mind when mm -hmm. I was by myself. And I think it was, a really creative way of not feeling what was going on in my body when I was by myself and not. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And now that creativity, cause I heard, and I haven't seen the research I've asked, I might research it myself. I heard that creativity is almost the same as aggression. And I heard, yeah, I'd like to look that up personally. I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I thought, wow, that's really powerful if for instance all this anger that i was carrying and i was able to use it in creativity as a way of supporting myself and i mm -hmm. think that that is incredibly powerful yeah yeah oh, yeah. yeah yeah either your either one's imagination or uh creative endeavors like draw, drawing or painting or writing or dancing mm -hmm. or doing theater or whatever yeah. all those ways that we get to express deep things yeah big time mm. and and also to to find beauty and appreciate beautiful things and art mm. that's yeah. kind of a creative thing in a way mm. to appreciate it so. i think so I think it touches our souls on some level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I heard this quote. I don't remember who it was. Music in the soul can be touched by, the, is touched by, can be heard in the universe. Music in the soul can be heard in the universe. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Because yeah. it, it must be a, another level when, through your book, because it's very creative and it must be on some other level that it, touches like I felt touched spiritually I felt touched mm -hmm. in in some of the darkest deepest places maybe because it's like that me too I don't know why maybe because there's that light that shines in the darkness mm -hmm. I know when I read something or hear something that that captures my own experience it's a relief it it's I'm I feel like I'm seen or that somebody else gets it or something. Um, yeah. Mm, we're not alone. Yeah. I mean, one of the, the people I interviewed in the book, the, the uh, man who was at Boys Town, which you may not know about in New Zealand, but Boys Town was a place uh, where, um, kids with um, you know, kids that had didn't have parents or had parents who couldn't take care of them, they would send them to Boys Town. There was even a movie, a, a film about it in the 40s, I guess. It was a famous place, kind of Americana. And he was there and horribly, horribly abused, horribly abused. Oh. And 
he said his best friend was his transistor radio that because he could hear the outside world and and that as he got older he would hear music that spoke to him like there was a song i don't know i guess it was maybe it was in the 70s or 80s one is the loneliest number yeah remember that song yes of course yeah he he loved hearing it because it was like yes yes that's what i'm feeling and that kind of connection if if you don't have people who you can share with to kind of have a mind meld or something with with artists or music uh, that they capture it it, it i i just it really helps me (laughs) me too yeah Yeah. it does yeah and i'm just fascinated no wonder this book was so amazing just it's absolutely fascinating to to learn about this and to see what we do naturally what what we do naturally as humans we are we are magnificent species we really are we are we're we're beyond extraordinary like you know we really are i i don't know i can't even fathom it i'm like you know and i heard this i think gerald chow said i did this course by him um deep learning and Mm -hmm. he says in it and i and i kind of think yeah sometimes research is after the fact we do it and then we research it yeah (laughs) you know we're so behind we do this and we're are we're so intelligent in our in the way that we are we hold so much intelligence from other ancestors and we you know we've gotten here we're the strong ones we survived and then mm-hmm. we're, we're like with her pencil afterwards like oh wow what did i do <laughs> yeah yeah that's so cool man mm-hmm. well thank you thank you so much for being on this podcast i just i am honored to speak with you and I, I just, there's so much wisdom and knowledge and information and experience that, um, that you've, that you've had. And I'm, and I'm honored and privileged to hear some of your story. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's always an adventure to talk with people about what happened and see where we connect and, um, yeah. So thanks for the opportunity to talk about all of this. Yes. We really do appreciate it. And can people find your book? Is there somewhere that people can purchase your book? Well, it's um, it's an ebook. Yeah. So that's it's on Amazon as an ebook. Um, and also um, the heart, I've got a, a paperback, which is uh, really luscious <laughs> to yeah. hold your hand, you know it's like oh look at that photo oh my god that person looks so cool and hearing his story or something but it's really expensive to send it out of the country yeah and okay. i'm in the states i i so i guess ebooks are generally the um the best way to go unless somebody wants to spend a whole lot of money mm, yeah the shipping yeah, fair play. And I would give them. I would. I would lower the price of the book to kind of compensate. But oh, okay. Thank you. I'll put a link in the show here. So if people want to okay. um, purchase your book, either electronic or paperback, yeah. That would okay. Be Thank you. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Will you take care? Um, I will. You too.
Kiara. Welcome to Voices of Resilience Radio. This is Voices of Resilience Radio. I hope you found this truly inspiring and uplifting, and that you've gained some gems along the way of your healing journey. Remember to be gentle on yourself and go well. For more episodes just like this, please remember to subscribe on rss.com, Spotify, or from my website at chrissygelmer.com. I'd love to receive your feedback, suggestions, and you can provide this also on my website. If you'd like to be on the show, please fill out my Be My Guest web form also on my website. Keep shining your gorgeous light.